Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. This is the podcast statement of our show that is not broadcast on KALA. Our guest for the 390A show is Dr. Doug McDonald archaeologist in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Montana, who will be talking to us about prehistoric human activity in Yellowstone National Park. Our history buffs for today's show is Ed Broders and Terry Toplin. Terry, you get to start us off this time. Thank you. Yes, Dr. McDonald, I can't imagine a more beautiful place to work but in Yellowstone National Park. My question now has to do, what is the process on how you actually go about setting up um, a dig site um, there and did you ever encounter any dangerous situations? Yeah, so, you know, I, I am privileged to work in Yellowstone. Every time I drive down there in the spring for the first day of a, a new field season, I, I, I look around and at the beauty of it, and it's just a wonderful place. And uh, certainly it comes with its, its dangers as well. And so the weather can be a, a really dangerous thing these days. You know, obviously the snow has fallen pretty heavy, and we never would have a winter excavation, as you can imagine. But, I, but I've honestly seen snow on uh, July 4th, so... It's always something that we have to take into consideration is the changing weather that comes and goes. So, yeah, so it's the, uh, the setting up of an archaeological project in Yellowstone. Of course, I need a permit, and I have to go through that process. Once we're in there and, and setting up our camp, uh, we always are um, uh, uh, trying to uh, make sure that we don't leave uh, food smells around and, and aren't cooking food in a way that might attract uh, wild animals. And so most of our field camps are... Are um, are out in the woods, and, and we've had uh, bear encounters. Pretty much every year, we have a bear encounter, and, and that's something that we have to to live with. And I like to say, our keep your head on a swivel uh, to our students. <laughs> sure, um, Ed. Yeah, um, Doug. What drew you to Yellowstone in the first place? And and um, maybe elaborate a little more on how you find these sites to dig. I mean, do you just walk around and look for a projectile point, or do you walk the river valley? Or you know, There's got to be some kind of a m method to this. Yeah, so just over experience, we've learned where to look for sites. But um, I will say that we look everywhere. Uh, and so we're given unusual projects sometimes where we won't expect to find sites, and that the, those sites are higher elevation places, on mountainsides. And believe it or not, we found all kinds of different types of sites in those locations as well. And so um, on the one hand, we do tend to find archaeological sites close to water and other resources. So the Yellowstone River Valley would be an uh, obvious place to find an archaeological site. Another really good place to find an archaeological site would be around an obsidian outcrop. So this place called Obsidian Cliff is a really big obsidian source and Native Americans were going out of their way to find that rock to make stone tools out of. And so um, anywhere near Obsidian Cliff will have tons of archaeological sites based on the thousands of years of its use by Native Americans coming and going. Okay. Um, Doug, I'm curious, what has been the biggest discoveries or um, the, you know, the things that have helped you most kind of understand 
what was going on uh, with these Native American populations uh, in your time spent in Yellowstone? Yeah, so, you know, in the last segment on that was uh, broadcast on the air, we, I talked about the Clovis artifacts that we found, and we found two Clovis points, two projectile points that were have to do atlatl dart tips, and those, you know, were the types of spear points used to hunt those ancient animals that used to roam the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains, you know, mammoths and horses and camels and things like that. And, and so those are hard to find and unusual to find. And, and uh, our University of Montana teams have found uh, a couple of those in the park. So those were, those were exciting days for us. Um, and anytime we, we find a new archaeological site is, is just a good day as well and, and, and recording it and those sorts of things. And just to show that Native Americans have been in all these different places in Yellowstone is, is always an exciting time for me. And it's it's exciting for our students as well. You know, it's last summer we had two new students on the team and, and for them to see the first artifacts that they've ever found is an incredible, a really good day. Okay. Uh, back to what you were talking before, Doug, that they found the kind of the mother load of Clovis discoveries in Colorado while someone was actually gardening. Uh, you said that in the previous segment. Um, could you go more into detail? What exactly did they find that you want to find similar up in uh, near Yellowstone? Yeah, so the the type of site they found in Boulder, Colorado, was called a Clovis cache, and uh, for whatever reason, Clovis people eleven thousand years ago were were establishing these locations on the landscape where they were storing artifacts, tools. They're not artifacts to them, obviously. They're tools, <laughs> and so those would be things like projectile points to use in hunting knives to use in the butchery of animals, uh, other raw material, stone raw material to use in making other types of stone tools. And so those have become a unique type of archaeological site associated with Clovis people. And that's what they found in Boulder. So uh, they found those artifacts. Uh, they found the Clovis diagnostic Clovis projectile points. Uh, they even did protein residue analysis on one of the artifacts and found that it had, I, I forget if it was horse or camel, uh, but those, of course, are animals that were extinct uh, after 11,000 years ago. So once you find an artifact that has that residue on it, you can certainly say that it came before 11,000 years ago. So we've also found those here in Montana. There's a famous archaeological site called the Anzic Clovis site. Now, that's a little bit different than the one in Boulder, Colorado, in the sense that the Montana one is associated with a human burial. So the big question then becomes, are all these Clovis caches not, in fact, caches or stored artifact or stored tools for future use, or were they all burials that all these tools that were put in as a cache maybe were actually interred as a, as a form of burial offering? Now, the only site that we can prove that to be the case is called the Anzic site in Montana. And that's not even that far from Yellowstone. It's probably 90 miles north of, of Yellowstone National Park. Okay. Um, Ed. Yeah, Doug, um, you've, uh, you've mentioned obsidian a couple of times, and um, obsidian has been found in a pretty wide geographical area, um, including northwest Iowa and North America. Can you explain to us and our listeners what the appeal of obsidian was as opposed to other materials. 
Yeah, so there's a couple attributes of obsidian that made Native Americans really want it. The first is, is that it's the Earth's sharpest natural substance. It can cut leather, it can cut animals, really without too much difficulty. Um, the other is that it's bright and shiny, and it's got unique color characteristics. Usually it's dark black, but it also occurs in green and red, and we, we always find these flakes called tiger striped, which is a, a black obsidian with veins of orange striped through it. It's quite beautiful. Um, and so when you find artifacts of obsidian in places like Iowa, um, it's been found as far east as places like Ohio. It's because of the cutting attributes of it, the sharpness of it, but also just the aesthetics of it. It, it really served a, it was a religious importance of, of the stone and so there was a mound in ohio that had 300 pounds of yellowstone obsidian in it so people had gone all the way to yellowstone probably traveling a similar route probably to what lewis and clark took 200 years ago but these people did it 2000 years ago just to collect stone to inter with their dead and so it had a, a quite a religious significance to put these objects of beauty that took a lot of effort to procure them um in with the burials of the of their deceased relatives and important people in their in their tribes. Okay, Terry. Uh, yes, I'd like to piggyback on that. When we were talking about Obsidian Cliff, you said there were many quarry sites there, and that I had read that each Obsidian flow has a distinctive chemical signature, which I assume then you can use to track um, as far as trading or migration. Um, where people have visited there and then taken it back uh, to their uh, cultures. But can you tell me, um, have you found any human remains in these burial sites? So there's only been a few sets of human remains found in Yellowstone, um, and those are mostly around Yellowstone Lake. And those did have a few obsidian artifacts in them. Um, the, the real places where obsidian was important for the burials was in places like Iowa, like the Mississippi Valley and all those big river tributaries of it. That includes Ohio because that was on tributaries of, of the Ohio River, uh, eventually flows uh, into the Mississippi. And so those mound building cultures really cherished that obsidian for their human remains. Now, the, the types of artifacts that we find in the human burials that have been found in Yellowstone um, really weren't of the same quality as what you might find at a mound in Iowa or a mound in Minnesota or Ohio. They were turning that obsidian into beautiful, beautiful um, spear points that were as, as long as your arm in some cases, really going out of their way to make them into ceremonial objects. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. We would like to thank our guest for this 398th show, Dr. Doug McDonald, archaeologist of the Department of Anthropology at the University of Montana. We've been talking about prehistoric human activity in Yellowstone National Park. The history buff for today's show are Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search 
click on the first icon and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.